Welcome back to our podcast at KMS Library, Section 8 of the Journal of a Lifetime. Oh, it's been about six or seven months, I guess, since I started working these mines. It's turning out to be a good gig for me. Sometimes I point to the sky, give it a wink, and thank Grandpa for being so attentive with me when it came to my job. He woke me up with these stupid trumpets when I walked the river. He always told me to look ahead and to not just see the stop sign ahead, but rather three stop signs down the road. You know, set my ducks in a row, stuff like that. His wisdom regarding work and finding a career stuck with me, even though I hated to work. I mean, who liked to work? The cool thing about this job here at Blondell is that I don't work with too many other people, which gives me the reflection time I need to continue healing. Don't get me wrong, I do like people, and it's a distraction for me when I can talk about last night's football game with some of the boys down here. But it's something peaceful about chipping away at mine walls with my pickaxe and drumming up old memories about Grandpa. I'm sure if the wall had eyes, it would watch me staring at it with a smirk on its face. I tend to drift off into meaningless gazes, remembering random times of laughter with Gramps. I talk about Gramps to the fellows down there when we're working. I have a few work buddies that remind me a little bit of my childhood friends back on the baseball diamond. You can't replace guys like the Weedham twins or the Dan Dawson, but they're a decent substitute. They make the shift go faster with all their clowning around. Making the shift go faster is key to a healthy mental state. Not everyone can do this job. It's extremely claustrophobic in these tunnels. It's dark, damp, and dusty. I know we have to resp- I know we have respirators, but when the digging machines scrape away at the mine walls, all of the unsettled debris clings to our body and exposed skin. If you happen to remove your respirator, the dust sticks to your lungs like snowflakes on a country road. In your mouth, you can just taste the tacky mine wild leftovers. Believe me, it's not a dinner I'll invite you to. It's n- not the healthiest environment to be in a young 20-something man, but life has a funny way of leading you places. Maybe Blumdell mine picked me and not the other way around. Maybe there's a purpose for me here. Grandpa used to tell me that things happen for a reason. We may not never know the reason, but we find out when we got there. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I always trusted what he said. He was wise. If you were here too, no matter what age I was, I'd still, I'd still be the wannabe know-it-all kid in his eyes. I miss that. Leaving the mine shift at the end of the day was always an adventure. Blumdell had the alarm bell they blared at the end of the shift when they echoed through the tunnels. I imagine for the non-miner, it would sound something like a combination of a nuclear warning test iron and when a tugboat blast poured into the harbor. Anyhow, the alarm would alert us to quitting time when we made our long walk back to the elevator shaft eventually towards the exit tunnel where the light was. We was always joke saying things like, walk towards the light, I see the light. It's not what we were mocking the heavens because honestly we all believed in a better place and deep down there was always a chance of something going horribly wrong down here. We just got some kicks out of seeing the bright glowing light when the horn sounded. It was our salvation. Once I would leave the exit tunnel and embrace the outside world, I could would fully see the damage the mine did would do to me. My hands and forearms were blackened with soot. My shirt collected a thin coating of sticky wall dust. The pickaxe was hoisted over my shoulder, was dotted with debris and mineral deposits. I could hear the striking noises my boots made every step I took. Everything felt dirty. My breathing was labored. I experienced a good five to ten minute coughing fit. The fresh air was nice, but it's like a slap in the face. My lungs were dumping everything the mine had deposited in them. Awful stuff, but that was Bloomdale, and that's what I do. Even though the working alone in the mine shaft has its privileges by getting me a reflection time and allowing me to drift away into deep thought, it does once in a while make me sad that I haven't found anyone special to make my days more brightly. Obviously, I'm talking about a girl here. Perhaps I'm to blame. I don't really socialize outside of work, so it doesn't afford me the opportunity to meet anybody. 
I love to have someone nice to talk to, to share a few jokes, and enjoy some of the great South Dakota summers with, but it hasn't happened yet. You could say my effort is lacking, but then again, meeting someone cool should just start, should just sort of happen. One thing for certain is there's definitely a void in my heart. Sometimes I'll sit back in my assistant's supervisor chair, lean against my, my mind wall, and kick a few memories around of Melissa. Remember her? She was a nerdy buck-toothed pigtail stalker who walked up and down my street, trying to catch a glimpse of me. She was the one who I threw stones at when we were little. Yeah, her. I used to peer out my grandpa's window curtains, trying to sneakily see if she had passed the house yet without being detected. That girl, I called her the stalker. Several times a day, she would walk and skip down the street looking for me. Cramps always thought it was so funny that someone had a crush on me, but she, when then she was annoying. When she finally figured out that I was home, I'd make grandpa answer the door and tell her, some make-up story that I was sick or taking a shower. What a jerk I was. Well, you should see her now. She's so pretty. She has these long, dark brown, flowing curls for hair. It's the kind of hair you wish was near your nose just so you could steal a whiff of her shampoo and conditioner. The goofy Coke bottle glasses that seemed to take up her entire face were gone. They have been replaced by contacts. I no longer have to peer out those tiny eyes which were distorted behind those prescription-strength glasses. Her once gigantic front teeth, which took up most of the space in her mouth, have been transformed into a straight and balanced pearly whites. She got rid of those bright colored shirts that were two sizes too big. Her clothes actually fit her new appearance and the new attitude she carries around. And most importantly, I believe she's happy. Ironically, Melissa got married to one of the guys who lives on just the other side of town. His name is Daryl Mixon. I guess she made her rounds in the part of town too. Daryl was an acquaintance and I'd known him for most of my life. He actually was a good guy. You could say I'm even a little jealous of him. They have several children, a girl and a boy, named Bailey and Benjamin. They're real cute kids, too. I see them running up and down the street playing kickball with some of the other neighborhood kids. It reminds me when I used to play kick the stick with some of my friends from the baseball team. Times have changed, but not really. She ended up never moving from the area. She bought a cozy red brick rancher three blocks up the street from where I still live. Funny, isn't it? It's now me who walks up the street passing Melissa's house and seeing her sitting on the porch. The only difference is she doesn't hide behind a window curtain. I'll do my weekly walks in the summer to get some exercise in and there she'll be sitting outside, usually with one or both of her kids. We wave to each other or exchange greetings, followed by some occasional small talk. I never did apologize to her for how I treated her years ago. I know that I should have, but I haven't worked up my nerve yet. I hope, my hope is that she forgot about this regretful time I ducked behind the window curtain to avoid her. When you're, 12, when you're 12, you don't think rationally or with empathy and compassion. You're immature. I was immature. I know that. But does she? It's one of those head scratchers where I'll stop and think, wow, only 13 or 14 years ago, I was in the exact opposite situation that I find myself in now. If I had just been nice to her, maybe, just maybe, I would have ended up with some sort of friendship with her, and I wouldn't be so alone. But the past is the past, and it won't change the future for me. I just keep walking the neighborhood, flash a smile at her, and be the guy I should have been whenever I was 12. KNMS Library thanks you for listening. Tune in next time for Section 9 of the Journal of a Lifetime.